Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that we would truly seek your truth tonight and that you would give it to us, that we would be freed from the lies of this world that take us away from your glory and your beauty and your majesty and your goodness and drag us and steal us away to death. May this be a a life-transforming moment for us. We may have expected to come to church today, but Father, I pray that we would meet you, that you would reach from heaven and touch our very hearts so that we would be stirred by your power and your love and your grace to love you more, to trust you more, and to be the people of God that you desire us to be because you are a good father who loves his children. May we know that truth in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated uh, for tonight's scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Judges, chapter 3, verses 15 to 25. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab, and Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached under his, with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to Connection Church, the friendly church who reads stories from the Bible that make first-time guests cringe and try to figure out how to sneak out without anyone knowing. If you're wondering why that was today's chosen passage for our sermon, it's because we're going through the book of Judges. Over 12 weeks this fall, we're going through this entire Old Testament book, and it's filled with a lot of stories that are not found in many children's books or children's versions of the Bible. Uh, However, it's key for us to understand why these texts remain and why they are in the Bible. It 
the Bible is distinguished from other religious writings because they don't cover up these scandalous stories or they don't, it doesn't spare us these details that may even be grotesque in parts of history. But what these stories do is reveal to us that there is truly only one hero of the Bible, and that one hero is Jesus. In reading this story about Ehud and King Eglon, we may wonder, you know, is this actually the best plan God could come up with? It seems like there could have been an easier way for him to rescue Israel from oppression. But that's not a new idea for us today, and what I mean is it's not new for us to question God. We do it all the time in our lives. We question him all the time. We, we say, God, why would you allow this person to get cancer and die? We say, God, why would you allow this person to have a better life than I do? We say, God, why can't I find the right person? Why am I lonely? We say, God, why don't you do something about the violence that we see all over this world or even in our neighborhood or homes? We say, God, why am I stuck in this job? Or why do I not have a job? And maybe most importantly, we say, God, why does Larry have such great hair and I'm stuck with this? We question God all the time. We, we choose plans based on our wisdom and our insight. That's our natural bent. That's what we do. But God chooses plans based on his superior wisdom, his insight, and his goodness. This may be a challenge for us as we look at this particular story in Judges and Eglon's demise at the sword of Ehud. It might be a challenge to us to see God's grace in this, but I want us to evaluate the story and find how God's plan is unlikely his unlikely plan is in place to save Israel and the world. But we should still trust it. So let's reevaluate this story as we dive back into it. If you want, you can make notes on the back of your worship folder. Uh, we'll have three points today uh, that will teach us about how God uses unlikely plans. The unlikely plan of God. So the first thing we see is point number one, and it is God uses unlikely people. You can just write down unlikely people if you want. But God uses unlikely people. If we were to pick someone to lead the people of God out of captivity in Moab, which is where King Eglon was king of, if we were to choose a person to go in and to lead them out, we would most likely not have chosen Ehud. God has a way, though, of showing us throughout the Bible how he likes to use the underdog, the unlikely to see his plan come to fruition. So look with me again in verse 15 of this chapter. It says, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute to him, or by him, to Eglon, the king of Moab. You may be wondering, okay, what's the big deal about him being left-handed? Why is that substantial for the story, but it's not an inconsequential detail. It has significant meaning for the story. Throughout the Bible, if we see references, or we see references of the right hand, and we see it as a reference to strength and power 
and positive. We see in the scriptures where it says God swears by his right hand. We see in the scripture that the chosen one of God sits at the right hand of the Father. In this time, most of the people, and I think probably most people today, are still right-handed. That's the dominant hand we use. And so the right hand at this time was a symbol of power and ability. It was with the right hand that they would wield the sword. Literally, this text in Hebrew means that Ehud was unable to use his right hand. It's not just that he was left-handed and used it as his dominant hand, but it means he couldn't use his right hand. So most likely, it means that he had some form of handicap with his right hand or some inability to use it that makes him an odd choice. Why would you choose someone to go in and be the savior of God's people to deliver them who is handicapped? You should should send the most strong person. He was considered handicapped in that time, or he was handicapped, and in that time, more so than now, People who are handicapped were thought to be ineffective and a lower tier of person. He would not have been the people's choice. But guess what? He was God's choice for this. Have you ever thought, you know, I'm just not good enough to be a representative of Jesus? Or I'm not good enough to to be a representative of even a church? I've thought that many times. But God over and over tells us that we are qualified to represent the Lord, not by our power or our goodness, but by our faith in the power and goodness of Jesus. So the question I have when you feel unqualified is, are you looking to Christ? Are you trusting in him? This is important. Do you realize your need for him? Are you desperate for the Lord? These are the marks of having faith in Christ. And faith is a beautiful thing that takes the focus off of ourselves and our inadequacies, our handicaps, and puts it on to the perfect one, the strong one, the chosen one, the Christ. We no longer focus on our faults. We no longer focus on our failures. But our attention is now focused on the perfection of Christ. And when that happens, we become qualified people. We become pure, we become holy, we become righteous, faultless, blameless. And the more we are looking to him, the more we will actually become those things. Once we live lives looking to him and trusting in his power and grace, at that point he qualifies us to be his representatives on earth. We may be unlikely in the world's eyes, but when God sees us through the lens of grace, through Jesus We become not only likely people God uses, but we become the chosen ones empowered by God. The influencers of the world, which are, many of them are here in New York, the influencers of the world have nothing compared to the influencers of the Lord. God uses unlikely people. I hope that encourages you. Number two. God brings an unlikely message. He uses unlikely people, and God brings an unlikely message. Sin is ugly. It really is. It's disgusting as an enemy. It promises everything, but it leads only to gruesome death. 
Something has to happen in order to change the course that we are on in life that's heading to sin and death. It has to change the path of our lives. So there must be an intervention from God to kill this enemy of sin and death. Look with me in chapter 3 of Judges, verses 17 through 21. And he, which is Ehud, presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And the king commanded silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him, and as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And the king arose from his seat, and Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and he thrust it into his belly. So what's the point of mentioning this King Eglon was a very fat man? It seems to be out of place for our world today. Perhaps the reason it's in there, it's included to show the demanding oppression and consequence of sin. This king most likely grew fat from demanding tributes to be given to him. He made others do his bidding out of fear. Bring this to me, and I will consume. They brought offerings to him out of fear while he sat on his keister and let other people do his bidding. It reminds me of the hobbit and the goblin king. I have a picture to show you here. You recognize that from the hobbit? The, hobbit? the king here is a demanding goblin king. And he's uh, very demanding of his goblin servants, and he even crushes them in the movie with his feet just for his own comfort. He was mean, he was evil, he was demeaning of his people. He had slaves instead of servants. He grew into a large, overbearing monster, and he didn't care for anyone but himself. You see, sin is the same way. And in this scene right here, he's confronted with Gandalf, the the great, the wizard. And ironically, I noticed after studying this text and thinking back to that movie, Gandalf kills him by cutting him in the belly with his sword. And one of the funniest lines in there is the, the king comes up to him and he says, what are you going to do? And Gandalf pokes him in the eye and then slits his stomach and he says, mm, that'll do it. <laughs> and he fell over dead. You know, sin is the, the same way as this, this king here. It demands us. It demands from us, and it never lets us go. It's oppressive. And we need someone who can come in and rescue and set us free. We need a savior that can overpower the enemy. Instead of being a slave to a demanding king of sin, what we need is a king who will give his life for his servants. What we need is a good king a good shepherd. You see, Ehud was able to get close to this evil king because he wasn't a threat. 
He was able to get alone with this guy because, I mean, what's this guy going to do? He's handicapped. He was inferior in the king's eyes. So he told him that he had a message from God. So the king stood up out of his seat, and Nehud drew his sword with his unlikely hand, his left hand, and he gave him the unlikely message from God. And his message was, today God is taking your very life. This message was the gospel message. Bear with me. The people were captive to an enemy that they could not defeat. There was nothing they could do. So God acted on their behalf to defeat this enemy. Ehud killed the king, and the people were set free. Now, details continue regarding this assassination. The sword stayed in the king's belly, and the refuse, waste, or dung came out. There was this horrible mess and odor in this room. And while this is certainly not dinnertime conversation, it is important for us to realize the ugliness of death. The stench of death is wretched. Every year during Holy Week, we have a, what's called Good Friday. We remember the death of Christ, how gruesome it was for our Lord. You see, he was an unlikely Savior that the world did not esteem either. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 and 3, there's a prophecy regarding the Lord, the Messiah. And it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look to him and no beauty that we should desire him. And again, speaking of Jesus, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus had an unlikely message for the world regarding sin and death, except he didn't take a sword and kill Caesar. Instead, he picked up a cross, and he carried it to his own execution. It was an ugly, brutal death for our Lord. There was nothing politically correct about it. He was stripped of all dignity. He was mocked, cursed, whipped, and tortured in an excruciating death. His unlikely message is that he didn't come to kill our enemies by normal means, of the sword. He came to destroy our enemy of death through giving up his own life for ours. We would do well to meditate on the sacrifice of the Lord on a daily basis. Sin leads to a horrible death, and Jesus, through his own death, has taken the penalty for us. God uses unlikely people And God gives us an unlikely message. The third point is this. God gives us an unlikely mission. After the king died, Ehud called the the people of Israel on a mission. There was still more to accomplish, and he was still this unlikely leader going out to lead them. Look with me in verses 26 through 30 of Judges chapter 3. 
Ehud escaped while they delayed. So the, the king is dead. He's lying on the floor. And he escaped while they delayed. And they is talking about the king's helpers. He passed beyond the idols and he escaped Sierra. While he arrived, or when he arrived, he, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not one man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So after this message of God was delivered to King Eglon in the form of his death, God called the people of Israel to an unlikely mission where they were to follow this unlikely leader into a battle against strong, able-bodied men of Moab. They followed him, and they won the battle by killing every one of the Moabites. Ehud did something very heroic that we just read, and you may not have picked up on it. I didn't pick up on it until I had read a commentary. It said, he communicated to them about King Eglon's death, and he said this, he didn't take credit for it. He didn't try to steal the glory from the Lord. What he said was, follow after me. The Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. He didn't say, look at me. Look at what I did. I feel like being him, an unlikely person, that must have been a temptation. He didn't say, follow me. I'm the one who killed the evil king, and now I'm going to lead you to victory by my power. But what he did was remain faithfully focused on the Lord. We today are still called to be on a very unlikely mission. Our unlikely leader has given us an unlikely message and has told us the same thing that Ehud told the Israelites. Jesus has told us to follow him. At the end of the gospel of John in the New Testament, the apostle Peter and Jesus are having a conversation, and Jesus is really ministering to Peter at this moment. He's reinstating him to, the, to his office, so to speak, because Peter had drastically failed the Lord by denying him before his crucifixion. And so Jesus is having this one-on-one with him and, and letting him know that, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Tend to my sheep. And he's talking about not his little sheep, but his people. And he asked him a third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? He said, God, Lord, you know I do. And he said, feed my sheep. And, and then he goes to tell him more about how Peter is going to die a gruesome death. But this gruesome death is going to glorify the Lord. And Peter looks over at John, and he didn't tell John that. And he's like, well, what about, what about John? Well, you know, is he going to die like, like I'm going to die? I think I would ask the very same question. That doesn't seem fair. That seems unlikely to me that you're going to make me do that. What about him? And then Jesus said, it doesn't matter what happens with others, Peter. You must follow me. Our mission is to follow Jesus. 
He's our unlikely Savior. The gospel is an unlikely message, and he calls us to an unlikely mission. See, God's victory doesn't come the way the world wants it to. It comes through an unlikely baby who was born in a manger, who grew up to become what the world would call weak. He was defeated on a cross. He preached a message that was regarded as foolishness by the world. And we, we must not be like King Eglon, who saw God's chosen leader and chose, chose to not esteem him. He rejected him. We are to look to the Christ, God's chosen leader, and see God's power and God's wisdom and life. See, Ehud is a lot like Jesus. But there's one, there's more, but there's one difference I want to point out to you. After Ehud's battle, he said, The Lord has given the enemies into your hands. And then they followed Ehud to victory. But listen to what Jesus tells us. He says, I have secured the victory. He says, the victory is in my hands. In Matthew 28, verse 18 and following, at the end of this beautiful gospel, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our mission is to follow Jesus, the one who has power, our unlikely Savior, because he has already won the battle. Our enemy is already defeated. We trust our unlikely Savior. We believe his unlikely message of grace. And then we follow him boldly, knowing that our victory is already won. God's plan is an unlikely plan. And my prayer is that you and I will embrace it and trust him and know it. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, we come to you and we acknowledge that you have chosen the unlikeliest of people to do your work many times. We see it through Ehud. We see it through scores of characters in the Bible. And Lord, we see it in our own lives where we see our own inadequacies. But Lord, you desire a people who have faith in you. You don't ask us to be perfect and then come to you. You ask us to place our faith in the perfect one, Jesus. You're not impressed with what we can bring you. The, the Rock of Ages hymn says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So Lord, I pray that you would empower your church to trust, to trust your message, that you would empower us to preach it, that we would share salvation through Jesus throughout this world. Give us the faith to follow you on this unlikely mission of seeing the entire world know that there is a true king, a good king who is a servant, who has died for his people, 
And our King is alive, and his name is Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.